And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold, another mailbag segment to throw at you. We have some questions in there already, but the first thing I want to get to is a question from Jerry G. Poor, as I've been corrected. He says, thoughts on the recent signing of wide receiver James Washington, and will Cam Jordan stay for two or three years as a Saint? I'll go with the first question, James Washington. I think, and I said this, I think, on the last episode, when you're talking about a veteran that you're bringing in at this point, your goal is to identify those four veteran players that you can stash on the practice squad and potentially elevate throughout the season. Now, he might come in and and show out and earn himself one of those roster spots. It's hard for me to believe he wins that spot out of camp, but there is value in identifying veterans and getting them to learn your system and getting them involved and understanding how they operate so that if you do end up having to call up a player, he you, you are familiar with what you're expecting out of that player, right? We see it with Kevin White. We saw it with Chris Harris. It's important. It's something the NFL allows you to do. You have to take advantage of it. And so I think that's what it's about. But he's a big play threat, right? He was injured last year. He was on the Cowboys. He spent his first four seasons on the Steelers. I think... What you're trying to figure out if you're the Saints, at least this is what I want to figure out, is was his drop in production over his final two years with the Steelers a product of him not being as efficient and him not creating separation and route running and all this? Or was it a product of Ben Roethlisberger's arm melting off of his body? And I think... You can make the argument for Juju Smith-Schuster. You can make the argument for James Washington. You can make the argument for basically anyone who was in that Steelers offense those last final years or those last few years is Big Ben had nothing left. So what was he going to do with the receivers, right? Like there was only so much he could have, you could have expected out of him and there's only so much you could have expected out of the receivers. So hopefully he's healthy. He's a young guy still. I think he's only 27 and we'll see what he has. But again, I think he's a guy you're trying to stash in the practice squad. Second side of that question, in the first segment of this show, we we talked about the reports of Cam Jordan being in talks for a two-year extension. And one of the reasons that I don't think it's a question whether he gets extended or not, it's just a, it's a, it's a matter of time, is how the Saints operate relative to the cap. And if the Saints decided not to extend Cam Jordan and said, good luck, find a new team next season – he would cost them $24 million in dead cap next season. If you extend him, you can push that out. You can start paying it down, right? And I think by the time he does retire, you'll be in a much better situation. But that's what happens when you when you sign guys to big deals and then you renegotiate them every year. So in the sense that will he be around? Yes, 100%. Because you don't have a choice. You have to keep him around. The real question is, should you extend him for two or three more years. Is he playing at a high enough level that it makes sense to do that? And I think he is. I think he has been for a long time. I have not seen any major drop-off. He's obviously going into year 13. He talked about how year 10, he was going to check in and see how he was feeling. He felt good. Keep going, right? Year 15 is the next benchmark for him. So I think he's planning to play until year 15 at minimum. And you're going to go from there. I think that he is on the fringe of being a Hall of Fame candidate, personally. And I think these last few years are going to be very important. And I think one of the re- one of the ways he can make sure that he has a really good case to get into the Hall of Fame is one more deep postseason run. I don't know if you necessarily have to get to the Super Bowl, 
But I think you need at least one more trip to an NFC championship where you're productive or you're a key piece of that defense, not just riding the bus, right? And and if you can do that, I think you are, he is a concrete Hall of Famer just in terms of longevity alone. Like his numbers are very good, not crazy good, right? Like you go and you look at a DeMarcus Ware, look at a Jason Taylor, look at a Michael Strahan, and their numbers are are significantly higher in on a per season basis. But none of them had the longevity of a Cam Jordan. None of them, except for maybe a Jason Taylor who played an insane number of games, but none of them had the health, had the consistency of a Cam Jordan. So anyway, I think he comes back. I think he plays two or three more years. And you're gonna see you're gonna see it go from there. The question is, does he retire a saint? Is he gonna be that guy who plays beyond when they are willing to keep him? Right? And and I don't know. I don't know. I think he's honest with himself. And if and if he does start to see his own play drop off, I think he's gonna be the first one to be like, Yeah, I don't have it anymore. But right now there's no indication of that. So I think for sure he's coming back. Austin Klaska question. If you had to pick the six or so receivers to make the roster, who would you pick? And I've already done that. So this will be an easy question to answer. Let me pull up my way too early roster projection, which actually does need to change to some extent because when I did this, Foster Morrow was not on the roster. Now he is the first tight end I had on there was Miller Forrestall. And I think I said at the time, he's basically a placeholder for whatever blocking tight end you brought in to fill that role. Foster Morrow was that guy. So I replaced him. So the numbers don't change. But at wide receiver, I'm kind of going status quo at this point. I'm leaning veteran and I'm keeping Ryan Edwards, Chris Olave, Traquan Smith, Michael Thomas, Rashid Shaheed, and then A.T. Perry. Because I think you were aggressive to go get him. It's because you wanted him. And I don't know if you'll be able to stash him on the practice squad. I think he serves a role that you need in that 6-3 wide receiver that you have not had in the last two seasons. And he's my keep. The cuts at this point, Kawan Baker, Shaquan Davis, Keith Kirkwood, Malik Flowers, Kirk Merritt. The other one that was on here was Cy Barnett. He has actually already been cut, and James Washington is filling that uh, that roster spot. So I would also have James Washington on this list of cuts. But th- those are my guys. And I know that there's going to be a lot of criticism of, oh, why do they keep bringing Traquan back? And I do think this is the year where he is at risk of getting beat out in camp. I don't think that was the issue last year because he was on the first year of a two-year deal it wasn't really going to help you from a cap perspective to not bring him back. And he does do things. He does the dirty work. And it just made sense to keep him around. This year, You could, I think you could make a valid argument that going younger and sticking with a guy like Kirk, Kirk Merritt, right? Keeping a Kawan Baker. If you, you know, they've kept him around this long. Maybe, maybe this is the year he finally breaks through and he's not suspended for six games for PEDs, right? Maybe that's the route you go. But until I see it, until I see the work of these guys in camp and I see them contribute on special teams, I see them contribute in all facets, especially the run game, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the status quo and keep Traquan in there for now. But those those two guys I think are probably the next ones up if you end up dropping Traquan out of there. Now the other question would be Brian Edwards. I haven't seen him play yet. 
But I think his familiarity with Derek Carr and his ability to kind of replicate, not replace, but to some extent replicate what Michael Thomas does from a physicality perspective is going to make it pretty easy for him to end up on this final roster. Now, he could come in and just just play like garbage and and miss this roster. No question about it. Just because you sign him as a free agent doesn't mean you are married to the idea of having him on the roster. But for now, I'm keeping him there because you went out and got him. It's because you like him. Here's Austin again. He says, I think the secondary roster battle is interesting. Howden, Lonnie Johnson, Jonathan Abram, Smoke Monday. Lots of depth, but I doubt if more than two make the roster. Again, well, you know, I've already gone through all of these positions, and I, I, I agree with you. I actually had Jordan Howden cut, and that could change, right? But I think of all the draft picks you're talking about, and they made seven draft picks, I think he is probably the closest one to the chopping block. I think you don't want to cut your draft picks if you don't have to. But as we saw last year, they were willing to do it. They cut Jordan Jackson. He ended up on the Broncos. He's not even on the roster anymore. They drafted him in the sixth round, and he's not he's not with the team anymore because he got plucked off the practice squad. So, you know, you kind of got to look at it that way. But I think Lonnie Johnson Jr. is going to be the P.J. Williams replacement. You know, because I think this team does look at archetypes. They look at people who can play multiple positions, and that's exactly what you have in Lonnie Johnson Jr. So I think that's what you're going to do is you're going to kind of plug him into that role. Jonathan Abram, I think, is going to fill the nickel, big body kind of safety who can come downhill and make a tackle that you lost with Justin Evans going to the Eagles. Do you need that position? Maybe, maybe not. Could Jordan Howden be that guy? Maybe, maybe not. But those are, I think those are who I'm leaning toward right now. And then the rest are pretty simple, right? Paulson Adebo, Marshawn Lattimore, Bradley Roby, Alante Taylor, obvious choices at cornerback that there's no question whether any of those four make the roster. So you move on. Isaac Yadam, to me, right now, has the inside track at that gunner position across from JT Gray. And then Tyron Matthew, Marcus May, obviously, are on the roster. So I think those are the those are the three that you're looking at that could change is Lonnie Johnson, Isaac Yadam, Jonathan Abram. So yeah, any any of the cuts, which include obviously Jordan Howden, Vincent Gray has already been cut, Troy Pride Jr., Anthony Johnson Jr., and Ugo Amadi, they could work their way in there. Whoever stands out as a gun is gonna have a roster spot. Yes, JT Gray is a lock. <laughs> I mean, it's just that there's no question. I mean, they paid him. They signed him. They gave him the money. And I'm glad because one thing that's frustrated me from the Saints the last several years is you develop these special teams guys, right? Like you have these kind of culture building players and then you just let them go, right? <laughs> like you let Justin Hardy sign with the Jets, right? You let Chris Banjo sign with the Cardinals, maybe? I can't remember. But like you develop these guys, you want to keep them. You don't want to be a feeder team for for other rosters, right? They go develop their own guys. You keep them in-house if you can. And so that's what they were able to do. So I'm happy about that. Jay Black, yeah, this is the question. Is this the year we say goodbye to Traquan? Because I think it's enough and other undrafted guys need a shot. Yeah, Traquan, we, we did talk about this a little bit already. Traquan is frustrating because you've seen flashes, right? Like we can pretend that he's never done anything in his career You've seen flashes from him. You've seen 10-catch games, right? Or a 10-catch game. You've seen him make big catches in tight games, right? I think week four against the Lions in the 2020 season comes to mind 
where he had a couple major catches in that game in a game that you probably needed to win to to keep your season afloat and you went in a 14 point hole on the first two possessions of that game Drew Brees threw an interception and you went on the road everyone was up all night because there was a COVID scare with Michael Burton and he had a massive game in terms of two touchdowns I believe he had a big third down conversion might have been a fourth down conversion I can't remember late in the game to help ice it but then you have these long stretches where he's just absent you don't have him he drops a lot of passes I don't think he uses his body the way he needs to but then you go into the playoffs against the Bucks in the in the divisional round and you catch two touchdowns one from Jameis Winston the other one from Drew Brees on a play where he used his body perfectly right I think the season finale against the Falcons in 2021 he had this crazy one-handed touchdown catch or I don't know if it was one-handed but it was a touchdown catch and then it's like okay where is that all the time where is that athleticism where is that ability to go up and get a ball and it's frustrating because we can hear all the time, oh, he's a great blocker. He's a great blocker. Well, he's a wide receiver first and foremost. So if he can't do that, I think you can find a blocking wide receiver. And why does he continue to be on the roster? So I agree with you. I think this is probably the year that if there was any where you you'd be like, okay, he's in the chopping block. I think this is probably it. Let's get one more good question here. And then we will hit the bricks. Rachel Cusimano. I am excited about Derek this season, hoping he can bring that much-needed spark to the offense. I agree. I've said this a few times. I really, really want Derek Carr to be good. You know, like a lot of people look at me and say, oh, you're, you're a downer uh, in terms of like, oh, I'm not predicting 14 and three. I'm not predicting 12 and five even. But like from a storyline perspective, man, I just really want Derek Carr to be that guy. I mean, I'm just so exhausted by by the, the national storylines of like, oh, Drew Brees is gone, Sean Payton is gone, this team has no rudder, he can't get it done. Well, why not? Why can't you get it done with the people in the building? And I think this is going to be the year where you, you either, you know, come to the conclusion that you can or you come to the conclusion that you can't. And Derek, it's a lot of it's going to come back on Derek Carr, and I think he's going to do the work, right? I'd like to think that getting kind of run out of town by the Raiders – is the incentive that Derek needed to really drive a team into the postseason and drive a team and just like work like that crazy maniacal worker that I think every quarterback to some extent has in them. But it's just a question of can you can you turn it on when you need it the most? I think Derek is that guy. And hopefully that we do get into moments where at the end of the game, you're like, okay, Derek Carr went and won that game, right? Like the Saints won games last year. They've won seven games, right? Like, But I can't remember any of them where I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Other than week one. Week one with Jameis, right? Where he won won that game. Past then, they won games. The quarterback did not go win games, right? Like against the the Eagles on Christmas Day, Marshawn Lattimore went and won that game. The defense won that game, right? Like against the Bengals in week six, the quarterback could have gone and won that game. He failed, Against the Vikings, you were hoping the defense could hold you ahead and you were not able to, and the quarterback could not go win a game. The best he could do was get Will Lutz a chance at a 63-yard field goal. Like, we can blame Will Lutz for missing that kick. That is a crazy kick to ask anybody to make. He already made a crazy kick, and he asked him to do it again, and he had a double doink, right? Like, that's on Andy for not putting him in a better position, right? Week five against the against Seattle... Andy Dalton didn't go win that game. Taysom Hill won that game. 
as a running quarterback, right? And so there were so many instances where the quarterback was a net negative when you needed it to go win you football games. And that's what I am desperately hoping can change this year. Because I think if you had that winning quarterback last year, the guy who could be the difference maker in the last four minutes of a game, you're in the playoffs, you're winning probably nine games, maybe 10. And you're just not, you, you just were not there. Here's Jay Black, another it's, we got we got to have some negativity in these, right? So here we go. Can we all agree Pete Carmichael is on the hot seat and needs to use all of the playbook with no restrictions because the jury is out on whether or not we should have changed offensive coordinators. <laughs> I I mean I I don't know if the hot seat is the right the right way to look at it because I don't think that if this offense is a complete disaster and you're you're looking to move on from Pete Carmichael that Dennis Allen's just going to, they're just going to say, hey, go, go hire a new offense coordinator, right? I think that if you're in a position at the end of this season where you want to go and hire a new offensive coordinator, it's because you are cleaning house and you're you starting from scratch anyway. So I don't know if the hot seat is the way to put it, but I think the entire coaching staff is on the hot seat in that, in that regard. I don't, you know, using the entire playbook, I, I don't know how you would kind of, visualize that it, there's a game plan, right? Like it's not like there are pages of the playbook that are just collecting dust. You're attacking the defense in a certain way. I think when you're Pete Carmichael and you're calling the offense, you are trusting the quarterback to be able to go out there and put himself in the right situations. You're giving him the calls and letting him make the checks. I'm just not sure it was happening consistently enough last year. Can Pete Carmichael get it done? I don't know. When you hear the reasoning for why you stuck with him, it's not exactly confidence-inspiring. And it was in large part (laughs) because so many teams had changed offensive coordinators that (laughs) there just weren't that many to choose from. And (laughs) it's not exactly your ringing endorsement as you were the best of the unknowns, but that is it. It is the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, right? And... I don't know. I think there's this idea that last year the quarterback situation was not optimal for what Pete was trying to do. And so you went out and you got the quarterback, right? And so Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, the entire coaching staff has tied their kite to Derek Carr, (laughs) right? If he flies and the kite flies, everyone is good. Everyone benefits. If he falls off a cliff and the kite rockets down to the bottom then i think we all got the answer but that to me is the is is the question one way or the other it's not Pete carmichael it's whether Derek carr is that guy and we're going to keep asking about it we're going to talk about it all training camp we're going to talk about it all preseason and we're going to get to week one and all i can hope is that he doesn't let us down at home against the titans where i'm sure tajay spears will run for three touchdowns just to just to twist the knife a little bit but all right I'm going to wrap it up there. This is Inside Black and Gold. We've been talking about OTAs, about Derek Carr, about all this good stuff. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do that. We're going to be coming back with kind of a more in-depth OTA preview for the first episode of next week. We're going to be out there on Tuesday. So the second episode of next week, will have a lot of that sound, a lot of the recap action 
from the first OTA session. We'll have attendance. We'll tell you who was there, who wasn't there, what we saw, what we didn't see, and all that good stuff. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss anything. Make sure you hit us up on YouTube. Hit us up on wherever you get your podcasts, right? Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Follow my co-host, Steve Geller, at Steve Geller, WWL. And thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks, everyone who threw in a comment, threw in a question. Always helpful. I enjoy talking to you guys. I want to do more of these live chats as we go forward. I always say that, and then I run out of time. But it's one of my favorite ways to, to, to do these podcasts. So always a lot of fun. But that's it. Thanks, everyone. Peace.